everyone. I'm Bailey. I'm Drew. And I'm Lacey. And, and we're, we're sarcastic, sarcastic, so let's get sinister. So, hi guys. Hi. Um, I, I, I think you both are aware of my love for Forensic Files. Yes. Yes. I love me some Peter Thomas. Um, that's the narrator. Right. Yeah. I figured. Figured. His voice. Pretty is sure, I'm pretty sure you told me about it. I love him. Anyway. Um, so this case I'm going to be telling you about was featured on Forensic Files, and that's where I first heard of it. Um, it's on season 14, episode 16, ca called Gone Ballistic. Ooh. So, it is about Alan Helmick. So I'm just going to jump right in. Love it. So, Alan Clark Helmick and Miriam Giles were married in 2006. They were described as being happy and inseparable. They lived in a high-end home in a sprawling subdivision in Whitewater, Colorado. Allen was a successful land developer, having started his own company, Helmick Mortgage. After marrying, Allen bought Miriam two businesses, a dance studio called Dance Junction LLC and a horse breeding farm called Creek Ranch Sport Horses LLC. The new business ventures actually overextended Alan's, Alan's finances, but it wasn't until 2008 when things um, started getting stressful. On April 30th, that's my hubby's birthday, 2008. Who? My hubby. Who? My hubby. Who? April 30th, 2008. Alan was waiting in his 1994 Buick Roadmaster while Miriam ran into a convenience store to use the bathroom. Alan noticed smoke in the rearview mirror and exited his vehicle. His trunk was on fire. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's not good. This sounds like super normal. Someone had dropped a lighted fuse or a lit fuse. Lit fuse? Lit fuse in the gas tank. The lighted fuse. Sorry. Because the tank was full, there wasn't enough air for the flames to grow, giving Alan time to escape and preventing the car from exploding. The parking lot didn't have surveillance cameras, so it was impossible to know for sure who did it. But um, this car is the kind of old car where the gas tank is, like, under the license plate. Mm -hmm. So... That's where it is. It's not on the side, so he might not have noticed someone in the back, but where you might have noticed someone on the side. What's his name? Miriam. 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 Detectives asked Alan if he knew of anyone who had problem with him. He said he knew of two entities. He. This is what he said. Quote: One was the state bank and the president and the vice president. They were trying to accuse me of an illegal loan, which I didn't make. They made. Allen led investigators to believe that the attempt on his life was business-related, and so that's where they focused. Um, six weeks later, on June 10th, 2008, Miriam was at the New Dragon Wall Chinese 
buffet, waiting for Alan to meet her. They had plans. He never arrived, so Miriam went home. That's where she found him, shot in the head on the floor of his office. Miriam called 911, frantically telling them, quote, my husband is dead. The operator asked what happened. Miriam said he's on the floor and it looks like somebody came in and robbed us. First responders arrived and declared Alan dead at 62. He'd been shot in the back of the head one time. A shell casing from a 25 caliber handgun was found next to the body. Sergeant Henry Stoffel reported that suicide was immediately eliminated because the weapon was nowhere to be found and also the wound was on the back of the head. Which I feel like, do we even really need to mention that? Like, I feel, is anybody on the back of the head was enough to murder in a which one? The murder in room, uh, oh, yeah, when they were like, it's clearly not suicide, and you theorize that, like, he's. Tripped in the tub and yeah. fell on the knife. Exactly. So we don't know. Maybe he wanted to make it look like a murder while he was like pulling the. We don't know. To demonstrate, I wanted to input. I wanted to add this, um, just to demonstrate how important Alan was to those he loved or those who loved him. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan's son-in-law arrived at the scene, where investigators informed him of the murder. He fell to the ground and was, like, just distraught. He was crying. It was... And this was his son-in-law? Yeah. Oh. Alan's daughter, Wendy, described the news as beyond terrible. She said, quote, It's terrible for someone to get shot because this is a person that people loved and respected, and he loved his family, and he tried to make his life better, and he loved people around him. End quote. At first, investigators believed robbery could have been a motive. The house appeared ransacked. Drawers were pulled open in the bedroom, and a jewelry box was empty. There was no forced entry, though, and the rest of the house was completely untouched. Um, I just remembered that I actually made a little PowerPoint for you. I know. Flattery, I said it before, flattery is the most sincere form of... A flattery. What? <laughs> flattery is so flattery. <laughs> so flattery. Imitation. Flattery. Imitation is the most. Is the most like, si- unbelievable. This is unbelievable. You just started the flattery. And just walking their way. Enveloped in the flattery. Okay, so if you two are quite finished, she's being so glib right now. Unbelievable. Lied. She's being so glib. All right, so this is Alan. That's Alan. Can you blow it up a little bit? Nope. <laughs> I told you to come closer. He chose not to. All right, Joel Alan. You got Miriam for us? This is Wendy, his daughter. Oh, oh. during he her interview. Well, her she's dog. talking about her dead dad, so that'll do it. This is um Miriam. And Alan. Pretty. Aww. She kind of looks like our aunt. Yeah, a little bit. Different shape of the face, though. This is a recreation from Rancid Files, uh, but this is kind of like... They didn't have cameras. This is a really high quality for 94. Yeah. And the newest shit out back then. 
And this is an actual picture from the fuse. This is the fuse that they found in the fuse. Oh, tank. that's the actual one. Yeah. So it was like attached to a stick there. And then they put the stick in and then lit the fuse. So it would. Okay. And that's the actual photo of the burned up car. That's Alan. This is the actual from body cam. Oh, body cam. Makes us some blood. There's the shell casing. That is Alan's son-in-law on the ground being distraught. So this is like what the house looked like ransacked. As you can see, the kitchen drawers are pulled open. This that desk in the corner is all open, um, and there's the empty jewelry box completely empty. I don't remember what's next. So I don't want to show you. Okay. Not ready for it? Nope. Okay. So, um, because Miriam was the the one who found the body, they like they asked if she would consent for a gunshot residue test. She agreed, and the results were negative. Miriam told reporters that she felt like she was missing her right arm. So, there's her getting her GCR test. Testing. And that's her blubbering on. She's very upset looking. Yep. What a still, too. Oh, uh, yeah. I was watching the episode and taking screenshots. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a very poor image of her. So, um, I wanted to go back now and tell you more about Alan. So, Alan Clark Helmick was born August 27th, 1945. He played pitcher on his high school baseball team at Delta High in Colorado, which I feel like Delta High, where you go? Delta High. It's Delta High? Yes. In Colorado? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. In 1945? Before their time. Okay. They knew, they saw the future. At 14, he started dating his high school girlfriend. Her name was Sharon Leonard. He graduated around 1963 and married Sharon in 1967, and they had four kids. Portia, Wendy, Christy, and Alan Jr. Little AJ. Portia, Wendy, what? Christy. And Alan Jr. Portia does the thing, right? I was going to say... I think it's Portia. P-O-R-T-I-A. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's spelled... Okay. Still. Alan worked as a bank manager before becoming a successful land developer. In 2003, Sharon had a fatal heart attack. Alan was devastated. They'd been together since he was 14. Um, so, I mean, he was kind of... I feel pretty attached to her. Uh, Just a little bit. I'm trying to do the math real quick. They'd been together for 44 years. Oh, yeah. Um, his son said, <clears throat> so Alan Jr. said, I think that he died that day. A big part of him. So in an attempt to distract from the grief, Alan signed up to take ballroom dance lessons at Grand Junction Dance Studio in 2005. That's where he met Miriam. Miriam was a dance teacher at the studio. Both widows, Miriam and Alan, bonded while commiserating over the loss of their spouses and began to date, even though they had signed agreements forbidding students and teachers 
from having social relationships outside of the studio. In the dance school? Mm-hmm. Is that serious? Yes. It's okay. <laughs> It's dance. It's dance school. Okay, well, dancing is very important. They're how old at this point? Who cares? What's your question? Did you actually want to know how old it was? Well, I'm assuming that they're in their, like, 40s or something. Well, he died in 2008 at the age of 62. So, in 2005, he would be three years older. So, 59. So, he's 59 and he's told that he can't have a relationship with his teacher at a dance studio. Maybe it's because dance can be sometimes, like, sexual. Maybe there were, like, varying age level classes. Maybe there's some history there that we're not aware of yeah, where something became like the the studio the teacher was dating the student, then the student was assigned to dance with someone else and, and the teacher got jealous or and then murdered the other Or just got jealous and it became messy. Episode. I don't know. Anyway, back to two thousand eight. A week after Alan's funeral Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> so, back to 2008. A week after Alan's funeral, Miriam found a greeting card left outside her front door. It was tucked under the doormat. It was addressed to the grieving widow, spelled G-R-E-V-I-N-G. Stupid. The cover of the card read, so she opened the card, the cover said, Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. Inside, in all capital letters, someone wrote, Alan was first, you're next. Run, run, run. So, investigators took note of many things, because she obviously took this to the police. There were many misspellings, including grieving, your, and Alan's name. So, I actually have... All hard words. Yeah. So, this is actually the stuff. This is the grieving widow. This is the outside of the card, and then this was the inside. Alan spelled his name A-L-A-N. And they spelled it like that. And then they also used the wrong form of your. Um, she just say asshole because they used the wrong form of you. Your? You're too old for that. You don't know? That could be a 16-year-old. They're too old for that. There were there was no postmark on the card indicating that it was hand delivered. Handwriting analysis was impossible due to the style of writing because it was simple block cap letters. Um, they did dust for fingerprints, found none on the envelope or the card. The envelope wasn't sealed, so there was no DNA evidence, and the barcode had been cut out. So it seemed that someone had gone through great lengths to make it nearly impossible to track down who wrote this. However. Investigators contacted the company that made the card and learned that there were only three stores in the area that sold it. They collected the records from all the sales, and the most recent was four days before it was delivered. So, yeah, it was purchased with cash at a Orchard Mesa City market, which was 13 miles from the Helmick home. Detectives were provided with security footage. At the time of the purchase, because the records had time stamped. Um, uh, Guess who was on the security camera? Who was it? 
It was Miriam. 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 Oh, I have pictures of Miriam. By in yeah, there she is walking into the store, and there she is after purchasing it. What a dumb thing to do, Miriam. Tell us more. Do you want to know why she did it? Because obviously, the police were like, "Well, I was like, what's her name?" Yeah, I could tell that you were becoming suspicious of her. It's always a spouse. Yeah. Would you like to know? Would I like to know why? Was there an insurance policy? No, no, no. I'm saying the investigators obviously brought this to Miriam's attention. Do you want to know why she she did it? No, I. first of all, I never said she killed Alan. She bought the card. Let's run to that store. She never bought the card. Oh, no. She said you called me. She, um... She admitted to being the author. She claimed that she wanted detectives to be more active in the investigation and wanted them to refocus. I guess she thought that they were kind of like, oh, guess we'll never figure it out. And she was like, this will get them to snap back into it. (laughs) Investigators, of course, became suspicious of her (laughs) at this point. Um. So they searched the home computers for clues. Um, the Helmics had two computers. They shared a long den desk. One was primarily used by Alan, the other by Miriam. They searched Miriam's computer mm-hmm. and found that she had been searching online for information about overdosing on the types of prescription drugs Alan was prescribed. A weird thing to look up, maybe. Yeah, isn't that an odd thing? It's it's a precaution. She wasn't mm-hmm. drunk. He wasn't overdosing, guys. You're right. You're right. She's being a good spouse. They uncovered approximately 180 online searches, including ones for Viagra overdose, Lisinopril overdose, Ambien overdose. Just, you know, casual things. Who hasn't Googled that stuff? You know, the first, uh, how much did you say? 180? <laughs> yeah. The first 179 were not accurate. She needed a fact check. I know. You know what? We've all gone down rabbit holes. Right. So. Especially, yeah. So, no one knows if she actually tried overdosing Alan. Or. Could they not test his, like, blood or anything? Well, not at that time. He was shot in the head. So, anyway. No one knows if she actually tried doing this or if she just gave up on that idea after finding that it would be too difficult or whatever. Um, or, yeah, like, if she found that, like, he'd need to take 500 of Viagra to die. you like, this is not worth my time. I, well, if no one prescribes 500 pills of Viagra. Mm-hmm. So if it's like that. Um, or, you know, she could have tried it and it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. It is of note that there was a time when Alan fell mysteriously ill, but he did recover. That could have been cold. So, at this point, police began to dig into Miriam's past. So, let's go back and I'll share with you some information about Miriam. Miriam Frances Morgan was born January 26, 1957. In 1976, she met her first husband, Jack Jack Giles. They married in 1977, so a year after meeting. Jack worked at a grocery store and went to school in Brunswick, Georgia. And But after they got married, they moved to Jacksonville, Florida. In Florida, 
Jack began to work as a chemical engineer. Jack's brother, Tim Giles, reported that Jack and Miriam weren't rich, but were pretty well off. Nice house with a boat, a couple cars. I'll be happy. Yep. That's rich today. Miriam and Jack had two kids, a boy and a girl. Their daughter's name was Amy. In 2001, Amy was 23 years old and died under, quote, hazy circumstances. Possibly an overdose. However, Tim Giles, Jack's brother, reported that he has never been clear on the cause of death. She was Jack's angel, the beauty queen, a workaholic. She never took drugs. In 2002, a year after Amy's death, Jack, 46 at the time, shot himself in the head while lying in bed next to Miriam in their home in North Jacksonville on April 15th. In 2004, two years later, Miriam was arrested and spent three days in jail for a counterfeit check-cashing scheme. Shortly after... Miriam started a career as a dance teacher in Gulfport, Mississippi, working for Barb Watts at Amour Denzar Studio. Watts became suspicious that Miriam was stealing money from the business, but despite her, despite her suspicions, she agreed to send Miriam to Colorado to train staff at Grand Junction Dance Studio, per Miriam's request. Again, that's where she met Alan. So, Jack Giles... Death caused the Colorado police to raise an eyebrow. Sergeant Henry Stoffel said, quote, Anytime you hear that a woman has more than one husband die of a gunshot wound to the head, you get concerned. Hey. They soon uncovered a couple oddities from the death of Jack. Guns kill people, okay? For one thing, the first officer on the scene was Miriam's half brother, and he was the one to actually declare Jack's death a suicide. Another thing, Jack was left-handed, but managed to shoot himself with his right hand. Miriam's explanation for Jack's suicide seems suspicious to Colorado police. She said that Jack was depressed following the supposed overdose of Amy. Jack's brother Tim said Jack would never have killed himself. He knew how devastating it was to lose a family member suddenly because of how Amy's death affected the family. He criticized the Florida police for not investigating further. However, Miriam changed her story a couple times. She told Alan's daughters that her daughter, Amy, died of an overdose at first, but then changed it to a physical ailment. Died of a physical ailment. What's a physical ailment? I don't know. Records showed that Miriam was the beneficiary of Jack's $100,000 life insurance policy. So... That's a hundred thousand reasons to do it. Mm-hmm. This caused police to begin looking into Miriam's finances. Mm-hmm. Police found $40,000 in checks seemingly written to Miriam from Allen, although 10 of them were definitively, definitively forged, but it was unable to be proven that Miriam was the forger. So she stole... Allegedly, she wrote checks to herself and signed Jack's name. Not Jack, Alan. And a total of $40,000. Yes. Okay. The checks were dated around the same time that Alan fell mysteriously ill. 
They also found that Miriam had started looking into life insurance policies for Alan prior to his death. She had inquired about a $250,000 policy and then asked the agent if she could get the policy without Alan's participation. The agent was like, no. <laughs> No, and that's suspicious, ma'am. No, you dumb dumb, no. <laughs> Meanwhile, so as police are looking into her past, Miriam is selling Alan's property. This reportedly robbed his children of monies that were rightfully theirs. You see, Miriam and Alan had signed a prenup, and all his money was to go to his kids. Mm-hmm. However, Miriam would only benefit through a life insurance policy or by selling property. So she wasn't going to get any of his, like, inheritance. So the only way she could make a profit was from the life insurance policy or selling his shit. At the time, police became sure that Miriam had been responsible for the attempted car bombing on April 30th. They found that four days before, on April 26th, the Helmicks had rented the movie No Country for Old Men. In the movie, there's a scene where someone dropped a lit wick in a gas tank. So she literally, like, just like, oh, that looks like a good idea. Let me try this in a week. Yeah. No. Four days. Oh. Not even a week. (laughs) (laughs) Also, prior to Miriam going inside to the bathroom, she had asked Alan to pop the trunk. Uh, This particular car... Oh, I already told you that about the gas cap being located under the license plate. So, like, right by where the trunk is. So, yeah, all of this seemed like circumstantial evidence. So police really wanted to find the murder weapon. They had a bunch of circle. Yeah, they needed something solid. Christy, Alan's youngest daughter, told police that Alan had had a family heirloom, a twenty-five caliber handgun that he stored in his sock drawer, which personally seems like a weird heirloom. It seems like a weird place to put it. People care. I, I, I find that easier to believe. In your sock drawer? Yeah. Yeah, especially... Nightstand, sock drawer. If it's near your bed and it's where you keep but it. Like, a nightstand, I understand, like, sock drawer. Like, I'm imagining, like, your dresser is, like, across the room. Like, I don't want to hear I mean, noise. You have to bolt across my, the room. My dresser is, like... Throw I the could, socks in the air. I can get into my dresser without getting out of it. Like, well, I think it depends on how you have your room arranged. Following... Following Alan's murder, the gun was no longer in his sock drawer. What? So here's where some crazy fun forensic shit happens. Oh, now we get forensics. Yeah, this is the fun shit. So while talking to the children about the heirloom handgun, they learned that it had been been fired prior to being passed down to Alan. 20 years earlier, in 1989, I'm going to quote this because it's a little Mm -hmm. crazy. My, quote, my grandfather went a little crazy and tried to shoot my grandmother in their front lawn one day. End quote. Gone ballistic. Okay, relax, lady. I was all coming. A neighbor intervened and took the gun from crazy grandpa. The gun discharged into the ground as a result. Police confirmed this story with the neighbor. The neighbor told the police the general location where the bullet would have entered the ground. So forensic analysts searched with metal detectors and they found the bullet. They matched the bullet from the 1989 shooting to the bullet that killed Alan, proving that it was his gun that had been used to kill him. 
So with this, police charged Miriam with murder. On December 8th, 2008, police found Miriam had moved in with her son in Florida. She had created an online dating profile and had met and begun dating a new man, Charles Kirkpatrick. When, could you give us the timeline again real quick? When did Alan die and when did she move Alan in? Alan died in June. 2008? Yes. Okay. So first she tried to blow up his car in April. Mm-hmm. And then she, in June, um, she found him dead. Okay. And then when did she make this new dating profile? And well, in December, she they police went to arrest her and found her living in Florida with her son. Um, and she had begun dating a man that she met online. Um, yeah, but so Charles Kirkpatrick was her new boo. However, he knew her as Sharon Helmick. I don't know if you remember, but Alan's first wife, the love of his life, was named Sharon Helmick. Miriam had stolen Sharon's identity. Isn't that nice of her? That's a lot. It's cute. Charles owned two dance studios and a human resources firm. So he was pretty well off. Watch out, Charles. He had become suspicious, though, and started withdrawing from the relationship when Miriam started kind of hounding him about moving in together and just like move like she was trying to move really quickly and he was just like this is too much yeah um miriam was arrested during a traffic stop in jacksonville and authorities found several forms of identification belonging to sharon helmick in her purse so she just like full-on became sharon Police brought Miriam back to Colorado to stand trial. She was charged with 11 counts of forgery, attempted murder, and first-degree murder. I think the attempted murder was for the car bombing. She was put in Mesa County Jail on a $2 million bond. Also, the court granted the oldest daughter, daughter, Portia Vigil, emergency control of her father's assets. So Miriam would not have access to any of it to bail herself out of jail. Prior to the trial, the judge ruled that anything relating to Jack Giles' death was inadmissible. So they couldn't say, Look what happened to her first Yeah, isn't it interesting how her first husband also got shot in the head? However, prosecutor. I guess that's fair because they hadn't, like, proven, proven anything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they could bring up, like, other people and be like, maybe this person did it, but they don't have anything to solidify that. Yeah. That's true. Um, prosecutors, prosecutors still had enough to work with. They told the jury that Alan discovered Miriam had been stealing from his business accounts. This is what caused her to begin, begin trying to silent him permanently. She began searching online for ways to overdose him with his own medicine. When that didn't work, she got an idea from a movie and tried that. When again, that attempt failed... On June 10th, 2008, Miriam snuck up behind Alan and shot him in the back of the head. They theorized that Miriam shot Alan, cleaned herself up, and then went to the Chinese buffet as an alibi. To solidify her alibi, she began leaving phone messages, feigning, feigning? Mm-hmm. feigning concern as to Alan's whereabouts. Next, Miriam went home to, quote, discover Alan's body. Her 911 call was weepy and sounded rehearsed and melodramatic. She told 911 that her husband was dead. She never asked for an ambulance or medical help. 
Despite the operator instructing Miriam to try and revive Alan, she made no attempts. They brought up the fact that Miriam began selling, selling Alan's stuff. Portia testified that Miriam had insisted that despite the prenup, all property acquired during the marriage belonged to her. Prosecutors also reported that they had found images of 39 different driver's licenses on her computer. Super just like random people? Or? Yeah, just different people. Miriam tried to divert attention away from her and onto Alan Jr. Clearly did it. For both the murder and the fire. She started spreading rumors that Alan Jr. had a meth addiction, but Alan Jr. had solid alibis and he loved his dad. He's quoted as saying, my father was probably one of the best people I've ever met in my life. And I don't just say that because I'm his son. Miriam tried to provide shopping receipts as an alibi. Charles Kirkpatrick testified that Miriam told him that Alan died of brain cancer. Dummy. <laughs> A horse trainer named Jerry Yarbrough, an acquaintance of Miriam's, said that Miriam told her, quote, I did not know the full tank would not blow. <laughs> Miriam took the stand, which is always a good yeah. decision. She tried to make herself look dull. She wore glasses, dark pants, and a striped blue sweater. She wore no makeup and appeared pale. Her hair was gray. Although, so, like, I'm not sure how much of that was intentional if she was in jail. Yeah. But, like, the reporter was like, she's trying to make herself look old and weak and feeble and dull whereas like outside she's always very tan she's always got her makeup on because she's trying to seduce rich men all the time um she so like again i'm not sure if she intended to look dull or if that was just I'm sure a side effect of I'm being sure. in prison I'm or jail sure. I think maybe the defense was like, this will work in our favor. She denied being guilty. However, the jury found her guilty of first-degree murder. I know. She was sentenced to life plus 108 years at Denver Women's Correctional Facility. No one determined, no one ever determined what Miriam did with the gun or the clothes that she had worn. And Jack Giles... Murder is still classified as a suicide. Mm. And I don't have any information about Amy. Would you like to see the rest of the photos? Yes. It's not, a, not a lot. Okay. So this is Jack. He looks, oh, like, a, he looks like a swell guy. Mm -hmm. He looks a little like Ron Paul. Yeah. Swell guy. Swell guy. Yeah. This is um their daughters. And Wendy. Or Christy. That's some of the girls. Yeah, they don't look like Wendy from the other picture, so I'm yeah. assuming it's Portia and Christy. This is her on stand for her own defense, looking plain Jane. Dull. Yeah. What's her in prison now? She almost looks like a man there. Well, prison does that to you. Okay. Makes you look Makes you a little rough. Yep. So, um, how'd you like that one? It it's not unsolved, but I felt that it was just dumb dumb. She was a dumb dumb. Yeah. Can you imagine if she didn't send that greeting card to her? She might have gotten I mean, away with it. It did what she said it wanted them to do, which was get them to refocus. Yeah, their they attention. they definitely refocused and pulled away from 
stupid possibly a business issue and refocus on her. It's like the videos wanted to get caught. It's like the videos of little kids and they're like, hey, don't go in my room. <laughs> I didn't do anything, but don't go in there. Yeah. That's what it felt like. Well, I enjoyed that. Good. Well, that was sinister. And we were sarcastic. And we hope you keep listening.